get started. Good evening, everyone. Welcome to another edition of The Way of Fanoa. It is September 27th. Oh my God, 2017 is almost over. This year has like flown by. And I don't know if that's a good thing because, you know, we're counting down, you know, to fewer days with, you know, who in office or if it's kind of like surreal in a way, how how much time is just going by really fast. And, I mean, you know, so many projects, so much work to be done. And it's just like it never seems like there's ever enough time to get all done. I do apologize for the slight delay this evening. Had a little bit of a hiccup with the audio and OBS, but all is well. And I'm here and I have an awesome guest with me tonight. Um, I know I say that every week for the most part. Uh, all my guests are awesome. I only talk to people who I think are awesome. Not that I don't talk to people I don't, you know, think are awesome. But, like, I I'm pretty lucky that, I, that there are so many wonderful and amazing people out here who are stepping up to the plate, really taking on the challenge um, to do what's right for, you know, their communities, to do what's right for the nation as a whole, for those who are stepping up to serve in Congress, as my guest tonight is. I'm joined by Professor Paul Clements. Um, Professor Clements, how are you? I'm real well, thanks. Yeah, thank you. And yourself. <laughs> well, thank you so much for joining me tonight. Um, apologies again for the, the slight delay. Um, one of my favorite, favorite sayings, one of my favorite expressions comes from the movie Empire Strikes Back. Um, you know, Han Solo, they're in the Millennial Falcon. Han Solo, C-3PO's rattling off numbers, and Han Solo just cuts oh. him off and says, never tell me the odds. And, and I thought about that anecdote when I was reading about your, 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 you know, your race. This is your, your third, I believe, your third go-round at this congressional seat um, yeah, yeah. in the Michigan 6th uh, Congressional District. And I, I was thinking, I was like, oh, I wonder if I'm going to ask him about that. But then I was just thinking to myself, my favorite, one of my favorite sayings is never tell me the odds, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. I literally do not care what people say the odds are being able to accomplish something. If I really, truly believe in it, I'm going to, I'm going to go do it. So I asked you, is that what it is as you, you know, face your, your third attempt at this congressional seat? No, I, I think that. You know, I don't know how to calculate. I, I'm a political science professor, and uh -huh. there's been no one who can calculate the odds correctly so far, certainly a year out. But but the guy I'm running against, Fred Upton, he was the guy who personally pushed this really terrible Republican health care bill, mm. got it passed the House of Representatives back in the beginning of May. And, you know, he always, every time he, he opens his mouth, he says bipartisan, but he's been voting 97% with Trump. And this health care bill, first he was against it, then he would, first he was for it, I'm sorry, then he was against it. And that just opened so many people's eyes here. So, you know, um, that really hurt his favorabilities. Uh, and, you know, we've got, we've got uh, the Trump wave last time, but Trump is, you know, betraying and lying to so many, all of his supporters. And then also all across our district, there's just this really incredible progressive energy with new groups popping up and, mm -hmm. and so many people getting involved politically. I don't think, I think my odds are not that bad. <laughs> awesome. I love it. And third time's a charm, right? Like, you bet. I, I appreciate the energy and stuff. And I love what you just said. Um, one, acknowledging that, that there is a very specific, I mean, there's probably several different reasons, you know, why it makes sense for you to run what the issues are in your district. But healthcare is something that affects everyone. Um, and it's something that's affecting everyone across the nation. It is really galvanizing and bringing people out who may have never done this type of activism before. I mean, we saw that initially with the reaction to President uh, President Trump himself, but we're really seeing people step up around this issue of health care um, and not just kind of in opposition, but really in defending it as a right that everyone is entitled to. And, yeah. and so it is really reassuring, I think, to see so many people who are willing to to, to step outside of maybe what, 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 what some might consider a comfort zone to really advocate and get behind those who are willing to go to Washington and advocate for them. It doesn't seem like people are really deterred by whether or not certain, you know, plans or proposals such as single, single payer, Medicare for all are, are quote unquote viable. It seems like people just really want representatives who are going to stand up for them. Yeah. And, you know, Medicare for all single payer, it's just the right direction, mm -hmm. you know, and, you know, in terms of the steps to get there, we could meander a little bit. You know, politics is not perfect, but the system right now is just so incredibly wasteful. And it's it just, you know, pads insurance companies, their profits. Um, and so many people are not being served. And for our country, we need everyone to have health care. And, and we know like Medicare 
for all is going to be cheaper and better. So let's just move in that direction. Absolutely. Um, so in thinking about, you know, um, I know uh, you mentioned that there have been some people who weren't quite happy with the current representative. Um, I, I, I'm pretty certain that there were town halls. And so what has the response, the response been so far? Yeah, yeah, we um, had... Fred Upton has refused to have a, 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 an open town hall for more than a decade. Wow. Yeah, so I'll tell you. So we had we had a puppet Fred Upton <laughs> town hall. That was kind of fun. Um, <laughs> and we've had a few, you know, sort of healthcare town halls. Mm-hmm. I organized one, one of them, with, um, with a very uh, Ab- Abdul El Sayed, a guy running for governor here who's uh, oh, okay. been Detroit's uh, uh, health, health executive. And the Detroit, okay. Detroit government, he's done, he's done some great jobs. So we, we've had a healthcare town hall. We invited Fred Upton, congressman. He didn't show, but we talked about the issues and talked through, you know, why it is that, that we have the problems we have with our private insurance system mm-hmm. and how single payer just, just works better. Mm-hmm. Um, so in thinking about some of the other issues, uh, just, just affecting your district, right? You, yeah. you're a political science professor at, at Western Michigan University. I mean, you've lived in the district, you've worked in the district. What are some of the other issues? Obviously, healthcare is a major one, but what are some of the other districts that, or issues that are really affecting the district that are, that are, that are speaking, that people are speaking on as of being concerns of theirs? Sure. You know, um, across the whole country, We've seen that people are working longer for, for less, less, less pay, but that's hit Southwest Michigan even harder than the rest of the country. I mean, nationally, the average wage uh, for a full-time worker is just now getting back up to what it was back in 1999. And we've had a lot of growth. There have been a lot of profits there, but they're not coming to the workers. And here, here in Southwest Michigan, we're even back behind 1999. So like there, there are a lot of factory workers who used to work, used to get $35, $40 an hour. Now they're getting $17, $19 an hour. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. Um, you know, that's, that's, we've got an economy that's, that's had way too much money in, money in, the, in politics. Um, it's a rigged economy. And um, that's, I think, you know, there are a lot of pieces to what it takes to spend that. way too much money. But I think that's the main struggle that people are facing, that people are hurting from here in my area. I mean, in healthcare, I mean, the cost of healthcare just feeds into that and just all the hassles of dealing with all the insurance. Yeah. So and just thinking about running this race, right, because there has been there. Obviously, there are a lot of people who, you know, have these different issues. They have these different concerns. But in so many places, I'm not sure if your district is one of them. But in so many places, people have really felt like they've been let down by the system. They've been let down by their representatives that basically government is not working for them. Um, oh yeah. So as you're as you're thinking about you know the bigger picture and and, and the, the the race to the 2018 election, what are some of the ways? What are some of the strategies that you're beginning to try and connect with the broader community and constituency to really drive home the point that look, we've had a decade without this guy having a town hall. You know, we need to have a representative that is actually other people for the people. Come join with me and let's build this. Like, how are you able to make that? Um, connection and, and, and get that message out to people? Well, you know, part of it is that, like I said, we've just had just an incredible outpouring of new political involvement. Mm-hmm. So I've got like new volunteers working with me and we've got a, a new, um, we're working with progressives actually around the country. Uh, and, and for here, for our district, we've got a, we've got a new sort of uh, volunteer mobilization thing. So people who want to get involved in our campaign can sort of link in through that. But also, even from the very beginning of the year with our with our our democratic organizations here there are all these sort of indivisible groups you know groups that mm-hmm. got set up to push congress well i was the one who set up our indivisible group for southwest michigan for our sixth district oh, democratic nice. party organization okay so i've been i've been talking with all oh my goodness excuse me it's my first time to do these oh no no you're fine i mess <laughs> up all the time but i've been using them for quite some time you're good <laughs> So I've been talking with all the progressive organizations around the district, like mm-hmm. for 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 months, and you know we've got we've been having weekly demonstrations at Upton's uh, Fred Upton's St. Joe office, and mm-hmm. and I've organized numerous healthcare demonstrations as the healthcare issue has been evolving here at, at Upton's Kalamazoo office. So just sort of linking in with all the progressives, and they they're, they're inviting me too. I mean, it's sort of it's a it's a two way street. I'm not That's running great. the show. We're okay. all sort of in this about about fixing healthcare. Um, uh, and then speaking to, uh, we had a big thing when, 
when uh, Trump pulled us out of the Paris Climate Accord. Mm. We had a big rally in downtown Kalamazoo, and I've done a lot of work on the whole climate change thing. Um, so that's been another big issue. But then, you know, part of it is just that um, uh, this is this is a uh, this is a turnaround moment for our country. That Trump is so bad, and the Republicans been lying to us yeah. for so long about health care, about taxes. Uh, my, my opponent, Fred Upton, he's been right in the middle of that. And people are seeing that we've got a chance to, to for a whole kind of new new, new deal moment where mm-hmm. we get to the, the basic challenges. We're talking about our so-called criminal justice system, uh, dramatically improving education. healthcare is certainly central to that, getting the money out of politics. I mean, this is a long agenda. Uh, and, and you can't sort of get it into like a, a, a three-point three point commercial. But what's exciting is that so many people are, 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 are picking up that we've got to turn, we've got to get our country to turn a corner. And, and that's what my campaign is building. And it's just um, uh, getting support all across the district. That's great. Um, and I think you touched on something really, really crucial there about how we are at a turning point. You know, we're, we're at a moment where unless we want to keep sliding down, you know, we, we just can't afford to let it go any further down than yep. where it has already gone. And we, we, we have to um, step up where we can, how we can and engage with candidates like you who are running for office and, and building a new like a new compact almost with with our communities and, and, and districts. Um so there are just so many different issues that are just just cutting across all across the country. How do you think about propose? Because you're right. Like when you're trying to do commercials, when you're trying to get the word out there, you can only prioritize certain things. How do you manage, you know, some of the different competing issues that that may arise within, you know, the constituency you're you're, you're working with, or do you just look for maybe the central? Uh, uh, points of convergence where we all can come together and build around, you know, healthcare or, you know, the economy, or like you just said, like climate change, the Paris Accord, do you, do you try to build out more of that support from these larger issues that are affecting everyone? And then, you know, deal with other issues such as um, the issues right now with, with immigration and DACA, for example, you know, there may be some issues that are more present in certain communities versus others. Like, so how do you manage the, the possible conflicts or, or prioritizing, I guess, um, the issues that matter and focusing in on your campaign? Yeah, well, I do think it's important. I've, I do have sort of the three things that I talk about all the time, mm-hmm. and that is um, moving to single payer because our healthcare system is broken, and that's mm-hmm. the direction to take. And I talk a lot about improving vocational education because this is something that's hurting okay. young people. Um, the fact we don't we do it so badly, but also people who you know who have been working for twenty or thirty years and they lose their jobs. Mm-hmm. We don't have the retraining for them, and it's going to be good for business too. So it's kind of one that a lot of people can can connect with. And then the third thing I talk about all the time is raising the minimum wage, having 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 a living wage, because mm-hmm. people see that you know if you're working forty hours, there are a lot of people here in my district, and they're saying, okay, am I going to pay for the heat or or rent? This month, or am I going to, you know, uh, get get more better food, or 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 or, or close school new new school clothes for the kids, mm-hmm. and so mm-hmm. people can definitely connect with that one. Um, but but also, I don't want it to just be three issues, and so and so um, all the time. What I talk about is, yeah, these are sort of immediate things we can connect with. If I'm in Congress, I think we can have progress on these, you know, pretty directly. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but we got to turn this economy around. And that means, besides fixing health care, it means fixing education more broadly, making right. it affordable. Um, it means fixing our criminal justice system. You know, if you have so many people who don't need to be in prison or jail for these nonviolent offenses, if they could be back in the community and contributing, they'd be part of the economy. I mean, it would just makes so much more sense. Right. If we don't fix our infrastructure, you know, that's, that's a cost for all of us, for business and everybody. Um, so, you know, Trump talks about cutting taxes for the wealthy to give them more money, but that doesn't begin to address the, the day-to-day challenges that people face. And so, yeah, I have my top priorities, mm-hmm. but, but um, uh, I try to weave it into and, – and here's one way I do it. I say, well, Bernie Sanders, he endorsed me in 2016 when he was running. He oh, also endorsed you. me in 2014. Okay, oh. so I was, I was on that page way back then. 
And okay. he had a really strong analysis about economic inequality, money in politics, and climate change. And if we don't work with that broad, with a broad analysis like that, then we're not going to fix our democracy. Mm-hmm. Agreed. Agreed. And I just want to touch back on something that you said that really, you know, it's something very few people, um, very few, even progressive candidates, very few people have ever really honed in on the importance of vocational education. Oh, yeah. Um, I, 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 I absolutely love, 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 my partner is a union iron worker, love the fact mm-hmm. that you um, touched on that, uh, particularly because we've seen the decline in Votech education, particularly like in high school. I remember when I was in the high school, we yeah. did have vocational high schools. We did have Votech options. Even though it was dwindling by the time I was graduating, you know, not all high schools had it, but you still actually had those options available. I know in some, you know, places, maybe some places that have more rural communities, they may still have something. But for the most part, there's been a serious decline and more of a focus towards, you know, college prep, college prep, college prep for for all students. And I really appreciate the point you said about, you know, for, you know, more seasoned workers who maybe have been in a job and then something happens, either they lose their job for whatever reason or the business is no longer existing or it moves overseas or whatever and needing retraining. And and those are actually two really crucial points that I don't think a lot of people really understand in some of the trends that we see in unemployment or underemployment um, that's that's happening. I mean, we've even talked about it with our own kids that, you know, college isn't for everyone. If you guys, you guys will have to do something purposeful, but you know, these are, you know, there are vocational opportunities. There are apprenticeship programs. There are these different things available. We need to learn more about them. So you guys have options. And I I think I really like the fact that you not just said something broadly about college and free college for all, which is great, but it's not for everyone. And there needs to be something for those people who aren't going down that pathway. So that, that is actually really, I think a really great, you know, platform piece to have um, in addition to that overall framework that you were talking about. Well, thank you. Yeah. And we don't have, you know, the the plumbers and the carpenters and machinists Mm -hmm. and the nurses and Mm -hmm. the computer programmers and the senior care workers. And these are good jobs, you know, and there are a lot of people graduating from college working for $9 an hour when, you know, if they could be a machinist with two, two, two years of community college, they'd be making $45 $45 an hour. Right. Um, and then and then, and then, then the employers don't have the trained workers, so that's slowing them down. So we're kind of shooting ourselves in the foot. And this is where our federal government, it's the federal government that provides most of the vocational money for Michigan the, through the Perkins program. Okay. And it's been flatlined since 2002. And now Trump wants to cut it 15%, which would make it even worse, when we need to be strengthening this. So this is something that I figure, you know, I could probably even get some support from Republicans to fix this one. (laughs) Well, Eric, they're all about pulling up by your bootstraps and working really hard. I mean, you want people to, you want people to go to work and work hard, give them the tools to do so. Most people, I think that's one thing people don't, people assume that folks just want to hand out or whatever the case may be. Most of the people who receive some type of assistance, whether it's food stamps or whatever, work. Most America, most people yeah. would prefer to work than anything else ever. Even when you're getting unemployment, and you're still actively, you know, looking for employment. Uh, we actually just need meaningful opportunities, dignified opportunities available for people to do. People want to be um, participating in society and all that other good stuff. We just actually have to make sure it's available for them. Yeah, my, my, my sister never had a job above the poverty level in fact, until just a few weeks ago. And she has six kids, and, and the dad wasn't around after the sixth one was born. So he, she raised all of them in poverty. And so, you know, she was uh, a beneficiary of some of these programs, but she raised her kids right, and, and they've all got through college. One of them got a full, a full scholarship to Stanford. Um, the others uh, went to, all, all, to university here, here in Michigan. And, you know, she was always working hard, and now she finally, after all these years, has an opportunity. She's working in Santa Cruz, um, California, your area, uh, uh, with a with a funeral home where she is uh, working with people to say what kind of ceremony they want to have that sort of fits with the beliefs of the of the departed and, and with the loved ones. So um, so that I, I've sort of had if if it hadn't been for food stamps, she couldn't have raised those kids that way. Wow, and I mean I think some people don't even get that right. Like they're they're just so busy feeding into whatever, you know, soundbite that, that they're fed by Republicans primarily. Yeah, well, we do have a problem with welfare, and it's corporate welfare. That's, that's our welfare problem <laughs> in this country. 
you beat me to the punch. Yes, we do have a problem with welfare, which is what I'm so excited about. You know, these new groups that are really actually getting involved and engaged in that person to person contact that getting out and talking to people about the issues and help people understand the information that's so readily available for so many of us that these things are a problem, but they're not the problem that they think they are. Like you just said, corporate welfare, um, you know, the bloated military, you know, spending. I mean, there's so many things that are actual issue that we don't focus on because we're too busy fighting over that the scraps that the powerful, you know, toss at us. And, and we're yeah. not, we're, and, and it's keeping us divided instead of coming together and uniting behind a candidate such as yourself that's actually going to advocate for the people and not for special interests. Um, I know there's something else which I, I obviously, you know, from, from the way you've been talking is important to you is, is the issue of money and politics. Um, oh, yeah. You know, like, so and just thinking about that and just thinking about how you yourself are running your campaign, how, how do you find that tension of trying to run or running, you know, a, a progressive campaign that's really people driven and focused and you still have to compete up against, you know, a Republican juggernaut machine and then deal with the other complexities and issues that money and politics, you know, bring with it? Well, the first thing is I don't compromise on getting out there and being out there with, you know, talking with the people. Mm-hmm. We just had a, a camp gumption that was put on by our Van Buren for All, one of our sort of indivisible organ- type organizations and okay. with with um, progressive organizations from all over the district. And I got to, you know, say a few words. Um, so, so I'm certainly getting out there. I'm also working with um, a progressive uh, digital firm. Um, they're, they're just, you know, one of the great things that Bernie did was he built, and, and, and President Obama before him, was he showed that, that you don't have to depend on the big business, that there are mm-hmm. people around the country who recognize that our system is broken, and we've got to have fundamental change, and who are prepared to give $2.70 or $27 to a candidate who really stands for that. Um, and so I've, I've been very fortunate, and I'm grateful to get uh, substantial support from people all over the country, to, 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 because my opponent, uh, he's got the Koch brothers behind him. <laughs> Fred Upton, when I was pulling close to him in the polls, you know, he, he um, Fred Upton was, is a climate science denier, and uh, when he got to be the most powerful person in the House of Representatives on climate policy, that's when he became a science denier. And uh, it looks like he got in bed with the Koch brothers. He, he co-authored uh, an opinion piece in Wall Street Journal with a, a Koch brothers affiliate. And then when I was coming close to him, they spent $300,000 against me in supporting wow. Upton. You know, so we're, we're against the big money, but we've got a lot of supporters both in tr- across the country and then building on this really incredible energy that's coming forward with people saying, no, Donald Trump does not represent who we are. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so we've got, you know, uh, we're building this broad popular support. We've got the infrastructure to do that. We're building the team to do that. And that's how we're going to do it moving forward. I, I absolutely am super excited about this. I had a, I had another joke, but then I realized it was the wrong number. I was going to say, oh, you don't have a I was like, I was like, oh, another formidable member from MI6. So then my dad saw the, the, the post and he was like, you know, it's MI5, right? So, <laughs> <laughs> but, um, but no, I definitely appreciate you taking the time to talk to me this, this evening. Um, as we're wrapping up, if you have any final thoughts or or, or um, I'll definitely share all your links and stuff uh, when I when when when, when I finalize. Like we're live now, but once this is already packaged and up, I'll make sure all your links and stuff. You guys, I'll be retweeting. I've tweeted uh, Paul already. Go follow him. Show support. Um, check him out. He has a Facebook page. Go check out his website. Uh, do what you can to get involved and help because we need to flip as many seats as we can come up in 2018 because 2018 and then that 2020 redistricting are super important. Any final thoughts or words you'd like to share with everyone? Um, Well, the website is clemensforcongress.com. We have another super initiative in in, in Michigan, and that is Voters Not Politicians Against Gerrymandering. And they're doing the petitions for that. Everywhere I go to speak, there are people getting signatures for Voters Not Politicians to end gerrymandering. So we got to get the big money out of politics. And we got to have nonpartisan redistricting. Those are also important concerns. Oh, this is very cool. I'm going to tweet this out right now, you guys. Yeah. Voters, not politicians. It's votersnotpoliticians.com. That's right. Like, yep, here in Michigan. Cool. And uh, that's going to help to, you know, make our politicians responsive to the people, uh, not to the big money, not to the extremes. 
Well, this is, I just said we're going to, but I just real quickly, one question for you, because I'm just, just looking through this and I'm assuming it's a similar problem that we've seen in North Carolina and Wisconsin and how, you know, there's this redistricting that happens, but there's also, right. it's also not only is it done in a way that minimizes the ability for, for a particular party and what we've seen in North Carolina and Wisconsin has been for a particular party in this case, the Democrats to have, you know, a real, you know, chance at getting a majority, but we also see uh, a redistricting of districts that are safe seats for incumbents in such a way that you, they really box out certain voters. Um, yeah, yeah, no, that's absolutely true. And, you know, Michigan votes Democratic for the most part in national elections, mm-hmm. but we have uh, only five Democrats, Democratic Congress people, and nine Republicans. And that's because they control the redistricting. They, 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 you got some of these districts that look like an octopus, you know, just to sort of snake around and get the voters they want. And, and that's not democracy. Not at all. Uh, when yeah, when you get to when 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 the uh, uh, congressional when when the congressional representatives when the people in this when the legislature when the the people who are supposed to be working for us are picking who they want to represent right. versus people picking who they want to represent them we definitely have a problem and we no longer have uh, democracy in action. Um, and we're going to turn that around in Michigan in 2018. I love it. I'm I'm a little biased against Michigan for a couple of reasons, <laughs> but I was I went to Ohio State, so I've been biting my tongue the whole time. But it's okay. <laughs> but I but I love I do love the work that is happening and things that are going on. Um, and 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 it's just so important that that people like you continue to put it on the line to do good work to to raise your voice. And to help lead, because um, I'm sure it's not always an easy task to do. Um, but thank you for, for, for stepping up, because I can only imagine what it must be like, you know, to really get out there and grind and do this. Well, thanks, Anil. It's lovely to speak with you. Lovely to speak with you as well. Oh, wait, I knew there was one more thing I was supposed to ask you. Isha gave me uh, a, a strict, strict, strict orders to make sure that I, that I chat with you. Western Michigan University, uh, uh, recently I had did an interview with the mother of Mushtaba Al-Suikot, who was supposed to be a student um, there approximately five years ago. Um, Just wondering, I mean... Well, he was supposed to to come here this year, and he was, he had been, you know, in in some, he's 17 years old here in the protest against the Saudi government, and they wouldn't let him come here, and they put him in jail, and they're threatening to cut off his head, to behead the guy, just for being in a demonstration, you know, for a 17-year-old. That is so wrong. I mean, we've had a, a major effort here to get signatures against, against that to, to tell the president, listen, these Saudis are your friend. Don't let them kill this young man. I mean, there are a lot of human rights problems in Saudi Arabia, but this is one where it's a student who is on his way to our university. So let's, let's at least stop this one. Thank you. Well, yeah, no, I definitely appreciate that. And and there are, I think it was four young people, four or five altogether who were minors who were detained. And, I mean, we just saw news today that Saudi Arabia is going to allow women to drive with some limited restrictions. Yeah, finally. <laughs> right, but they're still... Let, the, let women drive. It's great progress. And Mushtaba's um, detention, imprisonment, and, 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 and potential death is one of them. It's directly in violation of international human rights law. Yeah. I mean, it's egregious. So I, I just, I just, I, I almost, I can't believe I almost let this slip my mind to ask you about that. But thank you so much for taking the time to speak with me this evening. I greatly appreciate you um, so much for taking the time. And I look forward to following up with you as the campaign ramps up a bit more. I know you're going to be busy, but hopefully we can squeeze in another 20 minutes soon. I'll look forward to it. Thanks a lot. Awesome. Thank you. Take care. So I figured out how to do Skype with OBS, everybody. Yay, Adoa. Now to figure out how to close it out. <laughs> so you can get back to seeing me. Um, that was that was Professor Paul Clements, um, Michigan's 6th Congressional District. Definitely go check him out. Uh, follow him on Twitter. Uh, follow him on, go check him out on Facebook. Um He is, I was just looking for his uh, handle to give it to you guys on Twitter. Uh, it's Clem, C-L-E-M for Congress on Twitter. 
um, definitely go check him out and check out VotersNotPoliticians.com. That is a really interesting redistricting effort. If you have efforts and stuff that are going on locally, because this is something else we don't really think about, right? We just saw how in North Carolina they they were ordered they were court ordered to redraw their maps, and they did like a day uh, to let North Carolinians, Linians. I'm not really. Sure. <laughs> I think it's North Carolinians. Yeah, we'll go with that for now. Um, it was a day, basically, is notice to get, for people to be able to get to a hearing. So if you are in places where some of these issues are beginning to come up, because redistricting is going to be a big issue in the next couple of years, more reason why so many of these seats are really important. So one of the things I wanted to talk about um, for the rest of the show is about not just, you know, the grassroots organizing stuff that we've been doing. I mean, I don't know about you guys, but like since we've been this post- you know, Bernie campaign period, you know, everyone has gone and started their new things and have been really digging in deep and supporting candidates, right? And one of the things, you know, last night, um, you know, I've been sick off and on all summer. We finally figured out what it was, but I still have these moments where I'm like in a lot of pain and I can't sleep. So last night, you know, I'm just like, whatever, I have unpopular opinions. And one of the things I said was, you know, being a Bernie crat is not enough for me to support someone, right? Because anyone can jump up and like, oh, well, I'm a Bernie crat. I supported Bernie. And it doesn't mean that they're a good candidate. I think that the people that I get to interview, the people I'm getting to interact with, and that I'm seeing folks really excited about, these are people who really do have the possibility and the potential to not just flip a district. Um, you know, most of, most of the folks that we've talked to are running as Democrats because that's just the nature of the way the party system as it exists, right? Um, and that's not something I hold against people as well because one of the things that I do believe in, regardless of how you're running, if you have a group of people, right, like similar to the people's assembly, like an informal people's assembly process, when you have a core base that is willing to not only help you get elected, but stay with you and motivate and keep you accountable, not just to the issues, but to the people, to the office, right? To the, to the, to the, to the oath of service, like that transcends any type of party, whatever, because that's who you're accountable to. That's who's responsible to you, right? Um, I mean, Bernie ran as a Democrat and yet he was still accountable and responsible to the movement. And we, and he saw, he sees what happens when he moves against the grain, so to speak, right? And when he moves in the right direction, you know, those of us who do support those issues that he's moving on are right there to help drive it to fruition. And I think it's the same transcends down to when we have candidates at the state, local, and congressional level that we have to build in that support. We keep saying we want people to stand up and take on the challenge of running for office, but we have to stand up and stand with them and take on the challenge of helping good people who are doing good work get elected. However, we need to make sure that we are clear we're understanding what the issues are, what the challenges are. We need to do a SWOT analysis, right? You know, strengths, weaknesses, um, you know, <laughs> you, got, you got to go through all of that stuff, right? To make sure that, that we are aware of what's going on, what are our shortcomings. And just because we might have shortcomings, so we might not have the same level of staff. We might not have the same amount of money. And a lot of times, considering the, 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 the manner in which our candidates are running for office, usually they're not going to be the candidate that has the endorsements or that has the money. They're not going to be the candidate that has the name. But what they do have, they have the integrity and they have the people. And we cannot, we cannot, we cannot, I'm going to say it, I'm going to say it, I'm going to repeat it again and again and again. We cannot underscore the importance and the value of having those relationships on the ground. So if you're running for office, you have someone that's running for office, you have a campaign that's however many months down the line or whatever, even if you only got six weeks left, if you aren't on the ground, not simply that you and your volunteers go into someone's neighborhood and knock on doors and, 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 and make phone calls, but that you're actually engaging with community leaders, not going to the traditional establishment, you know, folks to get, because they already, more than likely not, they already not going to be checking for you. Right. I mean, think about it. If you're in a race that is more like a grassroots insurgency, the same way we saw with Bernie Sanders in 2015, 2016, you need to be thinking outside the box. Matter of fact, my son actually has a T-shirt. Right. And it just it just says, think outside. No box needed. And I was like, oh, that's dope. That's dope. 
he got a stain on it, so I can't steal it from him. But I, I like that idea. Because when you just open your mind, when you just, I'm a matrix it, there is no spoon. When there is no box, right? You, you can make it happen. And, and I know that there's a thin line between being confident and delusions of grandeur. But at the same time, we need a little bit of that, you know, I can do the impossible. I can accomplish nothing that nobody else has ever been accomplished before because I'm me. We need a little bit of that oomph, right? We need we need a little bit of that 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 swag to get us through down the line. And we need to be able to step outside of our comfort zones and talk to people or go to neighborhoods and humble ourselves. Like I'm running for this this and this is, you know, something that I think is important, but I'd like to hear from you what your issues are. What is valuable and important in your community to you? I were to be elected, could I help your community? Not saying that you got to promise people that you're going to do a whole bunch of shit. Excuse my language. Sorry, you guys. Not saying that you got to promise people that you're going to do a whole bunch of stuff, but sitting and listening and understanding what's going on. How can I help? What would be good? And people might not know, but it's just the fact that you're taking the time to listen instead of going and telling people about what they ought to be for, what they ought to be doing. And I think folks like Paul do a really, really good job of, of, of building from within the community they seek to serve. We've seen the same thing with Darlene McDonald, who I interviewed about a month and a half ago. Um, I've spoken to both uh, Kathy Myers and Randy Bryce out of you know Wisconsin First Congressional District. That is a hot, that is a hot, you know, seat. Um, because that's Paul Ryan, right? I mean, everybody wants to take that, take him down. So that, that is definitely a seat that, that has a lot of national attention, but we see, you know, we see Stephen Jaffe out in California running against Nancy Pelosi, um, you know, bringing it back to Georgia. We have our, our, our governor's race, you know, coming up and you have two fierce women on the democratic side and you already have the nasty mudslinging coming from the Republican contenders, um, particularly our, our current Secretary of State, who's using his authority to abuse and stuff like that. So, you know, these are these are those are those are some of the seats that are getting more attention. But then you have someone like Elisa Ring. Lisa Ring is in the Georgia First Congressional District. She is, I think, she is Vice Chair of the uh, Rural Council here in Georgia. I could be getting her title wrong, but Lisa is someone I got to know through the Bernie process. I've met her husband John. You know, they're really, really awesome people, right? We have a lot of people who are running for office who are really amazing folks. They are people first. They are dedicated servants. They are family oriented. And if you're not, if you're a single person, you're not family oriented, that's fine too. I mean, my friends were my family for the longest, you know, um, my friends, you know, when I went through stuff, my family, my friends sometimes were more of my family than my family was. So it's, it's however you define family, right? Um, shout out to Sally Albright, who doesn't get that concept, but but we have amazing people who need our attention and support and we need to help them get their narratives, get their stories out, get the message and the word out and not just figure out how can we help you share your information? What can we do that will help? I'm not in, you know, the first congressional district where Lisa is, but do I have a Saturday? You know, if you, if you're in a different part of the state, right? And you have a really amazing candidate running, you know, maybe a district over. Do you have a Saturday that maybe you can go spend over in that district? I know it might be a little bit wear and tear on your car. Maybe it might be a little time, but, but, but what can we do to help leverage our numbers, our, our physical being to help somebody else make this happen? Because we don't have the money the Koch brothers do. We don't, we don't have the money that DNC, you know, D triple C candidates do. We don't, it, that, that's just real, you know, but you know what? Scrappy startups, don't y'all, yeah, I know y'all have seen all the little giants. You know, I'm good for a pop culture reference. If you haven't seen little giants, one of my favorite movies as a kid, Ed O'Neill and Rick Moranis love it. And, and, and Rick Moranis is the little brother. Ed O'Neill was the, the football star, the famous big brother. You know, he has the really great car dealership. He, he's, he's a town, you know, everything. And he has the football team and it's like the little league team and it's killer and it's everything. And everybody who's anybody, their kid is on that team. Rick Moranis is the nerdy little brother who has a tomboy for a daughter who is a killer football player, but her uncle won't let her play because she's a girl. They call her Icebox. Great movie. But it's one of those true to form, 
you know, 90s plucky kid. Uh, 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 they don't got a chance in hell of winning stories. And of course, you know, I'm going to ruin it for you. They win the big game. They have the, the inner city, cha- you know, the intra city challenge and they win. And, and, and yeah, I watched a lot of TV growing up as a kid, but you know, when you live in a hood, you can't always go outside and play. Sometimes you can, there are those days where you can't really, it's, you can't go outside. So you watch movies on, on, that you taped on VHS off of the TV. Anyway, but my point being is we have to believe it. You know, we have to believe it when no one else believes that it's possible. We have to believe it when everyone else says it's impossible, right? I mean, there are times to listen to advice when it's being given. I'm not, you, you, you stubbornness, you know, has its advantages and disadvantages, but we really have to be the driving force. We can't waste, we can't afford to waste and spend energy. Why don't they treat us better or do this? Why not this? Why not that? It's going to be a fight. When power is on the line, right? Power concedes nothing, right? And, and, and people are used to the positions they hold. You are a threat, right? So we have to be focused. We have to be clear and make sure that we're factually, you know, on the right side of things when we're moving forward. If your candidates are not getting the right attention, the right coverage, be the media that your district needs. You to have different groups. I mean, we all have the ability to stream and stuff like that. Progressive Army will take submissions. If you have an op-ed or a press release that you would like to submit, write a letter, have, have supporters write letters to the editor, you know, of your local, because here's the thing. It's really, really great. And I understand when people get really focused on the national attention, it, it does. It helps with fundraising. It helps with raising platforms and awareness like that. But if you don't have that, I mean, still, you know, jockey and try to get your position, but then you got to be strategic about what else can you do? Because ultimately, at the end of the day, what matters is the people in your district and getting connecting with those folks because that is who's going to vote. Everybody else out here on Facebook and Twitter land, they're not your voting base. It's those people actually on the ground. And I don't care how many Russian advertisements anybody sent, Twitter and Facebook did not make or break no election and they're not about to start making and breaking elections. They are definitely great platforms for us to get our message out, to get our voice out, to connect with other like-minded individuals, to build and to strategize. They're great tools, but those aren't the only tools we have. We also have a left and a right tool called a foot. And you have two of them. Most of us do anyway. And if you don't, pair it with somebody who can help you get around. Seriously. Because we have to start, we don't, we don't need to reinvent the wheel you know what I'm saying? We, I mean, old school, like when you was a kid doing it too. Like, do you have to, do you have to make like handbills, you know, print them up at Kinko's or wherever, Levis is a sheet and, and, and half, half of them to get your word out. But you really got to get out there and start touching people and talking to people, right? And so many folks are doing this really, really well. And be clear and understand what, not just what is wrong with the candidates you're going up against or who's not doing what, that's great. But what are you going to do differently? And how can you ensure people that you're going to try your best? Because that's what people want. People want right now leaders who are strong and who are accountable. We don't want people who are just going to point fingers and talk about who's not doing what when for them. So seriously, if you're, if your personal narratives and I'm really I'm getting your voice out, getting your story out, getting your narratives, if there are things going on in your community right now, we're seeing 11 days and counting with Ferguson right now, not Ferguson. I said Ferguson because this is like Ferguson all over again, right? Three years have passed in St. Louis, 11 days. And we're seeing, you know, tonight I saw a new a story um, out of St. Louis that the mayor and the, the acting police chief have asked for independent investigation to police responses to the protests because the police have been ugly. They've been ugly. They've been vicious. They've been violent. And the, some of the headlines, some of the stories coming out of Seattle from the local news have been just straight up vitriolic police rhetoric. They're not telling the accurate stories. There, there are some stories that come, have come out here and there that seem to be more in line with what is going on, but there is plenty of footage, pictures, first person's accounts from so many different people across the spectrum. And what's really bad is if it wasn't for the fact that you have white middle-class people, you know, business owners, nuns, if you didn't have people who were acceptable, also speaking up, 
also being, you know, attacked and brutalized, if you didn't have undercover cops being attacked and brutalized, if you didn't have uh, 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 journalists from local newspapers being attacked and maced in the face when they were not doing anything, if you didn't have that, most people would not be paying attention or listening to the black activists on the ground. So I'm really thankful that my people like my sis Corey have all these other allies who are out there in the streets with them, living and breathing and standing there to bear witness and provide the testimony that is necessary to get the action happen on the ground. But we shouldn't have to rely on other people to confirm the brutalization that continues to happen against black communities, brown communities all across the country. We should not. That should not be required or necessary. But alas, in 2017, it still is. Like, so everyone can talk about, oh, the knee, and I'm taking the knee, and now we have Georgetown professors taking the knee to protest sessions. Okay, whatever. Like, what's happening right now and the absolute need for us to make sure that we are highlighting and making sure information is accurate, information is timely, and that we are bolstering the narratives that are coming from the communities is super important. Because when you have a violent police department, like in St. Louis, whose personal, I think she's, she's what, she's what their, their, uh, their media person or public relations person, I forget what her exact title is, but the person that's in charge of like their Twitter and their, their press releases and things like that came from Fox News. Think about this. Fox News, which isn't real news, just propaganda, BS. Someone who works for there is now behind the communications for this very Gestapo-like violent, you know, police department that is using militaristic tactics and outright terror against community, community members and business owners. You know, they've stalked and harassed the owner of a pizzeria because he dared to, 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 to say something about the treatment of protesters uh, 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 during those first few nights uh, of protesting. There's a letter from small business owners also standing and, and there are people who are signing on anonymously because they're scared of the blowback from the police, from the police union, from the Blue Lives Matter support group. These people are thugs. They're terrorists and it needs to stop. And it doesn't matter who sits in that White House because this has been an issue that has affected our communities for generations. And people can talk about, oh, what about black on black crime? What about this? The th different, the, what, why this is important? Why this is important is because when crime happens, people go to jail, unless they're cops. When, 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 when crimes are committed, people go to jail. And in fact, if you're of color, you're more likely to face certain penalties. You're more likely to lose certain opportunities at the hands of the criminal justice system justice so save me the whole black on black crime why don't they protest when this happens the problem is that we have a system that supposedly relies on those individuals that we call police officers who are supposed to serve and protect who are supposed to keep a system of justice and enforce the laws as they exist on the books not terrorize people not do things for their own personal amusement not exaggerate because they're having power trips and they want to punish somebody because how dare somebody excuse me like revolutionary z actually film and tell the honest truth about what's happening there's some amazing amazing advocates on the ground in the st louis metro area who are who are chronicling what has happened we need to lift up those voices we need to make sure people do not forget same thing right now with puerto rico puerto rico instead of is, is now a political football between the stupid president congress and democrats when literally I am seeing more from nonprofit groups that are just new startups, individuals who have family that they have not been able to get a hold of, or maybe they talk to one relative and they're praying to talk to the rest. I've seen average individuals with, with, with all three hurricanes we've been affected by, Harvey, Irma, and now Maria. I've seen more people, you know, shout out to, 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 to my girl Donna Davis and the uh, Irma Decentralized Response Network out of Florida. There is more response happening from citizens on the ground who are using this media. And I know we have a love-hate relationship with Facebook and Twitter. Shout out to Media Revolt. If you have not signed up, go to MediaRevolt.org. Give it a holler. 
But we have people who are using, you know, these outlets and these mediums to connect. I mean, no, folks like Donna Davis down in Tampa Bay should not have to set up you caring posts to raise money to, 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 to help with uh, repair efforts help with recovery in communities but communities of color black and brown communities even when you're talking about someplace like a puerto rico someplace like a virgin islands when you have lower income communities they're the hardest hit they're already the most devastated and they're going to be the last ones taken care of if they're taken care of at all so we have to be not only do we have to be the media we have to be a conscious that doesn't exist in our current media we have this independent media space that so many of us are a part of, and there are a lot of people doing really great work, but we need to really be more purposeful with the way in which that we engage with activists, with organizers. I know it's difficult, it's hard. Like I have felt like a pest wanting to try and get quotes from people in St. Louis to, to, to get their story. But I am watching everything unfold and bearing witness from afar and all the least we can do up and share and support as much as we can if you know people who are on the ground in various places if you know people if you don't actually have family in uv in the virgin islands or in puerto rico or anywhere else dominican republic i know it's some places not talked about at all either if you don't have family in those places but you know people who do reach out and just make sure they're okay can you can you help donate and do something like we we have to figure out how to make this shit work ourselves because literally no one is coming to save us no one is coming to save any of us. So whether it's putting pressure on Congress to do the right damn thing in terms of Puerto Rico and, 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 and temporarily suspending restrictions on shipping, I mean, it's just all types of stuff, but we have to do it. We have to mend it and we have to make it happen. But we also have to make sure that we are lifting up the narratives and movements. This is how this summer, this summer started for me is demanding that when people are telling the stories of movement spaces of people's organizational work that is accurate that it is purposeful and that it is reflective of what is happening in reality not their made-up contrived space of how they personally feel about what someone else is doing you can have your opinions about what someone's doing but don't misrepresent people's work and and people you know with platform comes privilege and we need to be leveraging that privilege we are in a very crucial moment right now in American politics and in people's regular real lives. There's a lot going on in the world right now. And I know there are a lot of people who, who feel like you should focus on one thing or another. I think that if the news that you see is not representative of what you believe and you believe that there's a truth, that if there's a story, that there's a narrative that is out there that's not being represented, you should pick up, you know, recorder and make it happen. But do so with purpose do so with integrity and do so with the purpose of lifting up and furthering good people doing good work. So that's it for tonight. I'm a try to write. I know I keep saying, I know I owe people articles from like all summer, but it's rough because it's emotionally draining and there's so much going on. And that's not me complaining. It should be just being real. And I know so many of us out there do the things that we do. We work, we, 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 we try to help out as we can. We try to help candidates. We try to help organize. We, we show up at protests. I mean, if we're able to travel, we do that. But some of you are doing amazing work and you're putting your bodies in line every single day. And I commend you so much. Um, check out the interview I just had with, with, with Kathy Myers. If you'd like to see my talk with Randy Bryce, it's on the DFA Facebook page, I believe, from uh, last month during Netroots. Both, I think, two really great candidates who have a lot to offer that district, way better than um, Paul Ryan. Uh, I just finished talking with Paul Clements this night. I also have talked with Darlene McDonald. Um, Corey Bush is someone I'm definitely going to come back to. You guys can check out my roundtable with Paul, Paula Swearingen from uh, People Summit in June. Um, Paula is someone else I absolutely adore and her leadership just amazes me and I'm just so proud of that woman. I mean, Joe Manchin is probably one of the most formidable politicians in West Virginia modern history and, and she has taken on a juggernaut and she shows no, whether if she has any, she doesn't show any fear. That woman's phenomenal. Um, there, 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 there is a lot of like just great stuff that's happening and I'm so excited. Attica Scott in Kentucky. I mean, so many are amazing, wonderful people. There's a slew of folks running for, for, for city council out of New York, Jabari Brisport. Um, and here in Atlanta, <laughs> I talk about everywhere else, right? Except for where I live. Um, 
here in Atlanta, there are some amazing activists and organizations that I'm really looking forward to to taking time to go to an event and get more involved in what's going on. Um, I hear that uh, there could be some programming coming our way in November. That should be pretty exciting. Um, Once I have more information, I'll definitely share. But I'll be honest about here in Atlanta, my mayoral election makes me very sad. I actually envy some other places in their elections. My mayoral election makes me very sad here. Um, But I think there's some really good lessons for the movement and for progressive politics that are going to be worn out over the next several weeks. And, you know, when we're building these spaces, we can't we can't shy away and just say, well, if we build it, people could come. And if they don't want to come, then we're not going to work with them. We need to go to the people because the people are our greatest asset. They're our greatest resource. We can't just assume that if we have you know some fancy person come and speak or if we just have the right issues that people are going to come. People are tired. People are tired and folks have sounded good on paper for a long time. People have said any old thing to get elected. So you got to do more. You got to show up. You got to build those relationships. Start now. If you're someone that's thinking about running, running, look and assess. What are your relationships in the community you're thinking about running in? What are your relationships with people who actually understand a little something about the political game? Um, Shout out to Stacey Hopkins. One of the things that she said earlier on a post was, you know, if you're new to politics, it's your first time to go around as a candidate. Beware of beware of political consultants and it's not that they're a bad thing some of them are but 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 ask around and vet people and also you know look at who does what locally there's a tendency tendency to go hop on someone who's you know all over the place but sometimes you know you know your district and the people around you know what's good you know not saying that you don't work with people who exist at large. I work with a lot of folks all over the place and communities I'm not a part of. But at the same time, I mean, deference to local ideas, opinions, and knowledge is super crucial. So I'm excited for what's coming forward. But yeah, my election here makes me very sad only because the options, the choices, I mean, you know, you have the candidate that is the Bernie candidate. um, But the infrastructure that has been that was left behind from the grassroots effort from the campaign has not really grown that much more from that which what it was during the campaign. And what we see in many spaces is this a, it, it, there is a toxic masculinity. There is a, a classist and racist attitude that persists in some places. And I'm not you know saying anything about people personally. I'm just saying like when we look in certain places and we look at who's valuable and where do we meet, where do we you know, choose to, sure, we show up at protests because, you know, if we don't show up at protests about particular issues, then how can we say that we're the progressives? But do we show up when there isn't a protest? Are we are we building and, and meeting with leaders who have already existed long before we discovered Bernie or, or progressivism? You know what I'm saying? So, so there's a lot at stake um, for us here in Atlanta. And like I said, Atlanta makes me very sad. I'm here because my family's here, but Atlanta as a city makes me very sad because of the sheer lack of concern from the political base that exists here overall. It's very centrist. It's very middle, upper middle class in many respects. And there's a complete disregard a lot for people who are working class or poor um, in terms of housing affordability, in terms of education, in terms of opportunity. One shining example is is hopefully um, the full city council will be voting, I think it's next week, on a bill that would actually decriminalize marijuana under one ounce. Uh, it, it goes from uh, up to six months in jail and a $1,000 fine, I think, to um, I think it'll be a $75 ticket if it's under an ounce of weed. So that's actually something that's a shining example. There's been some, 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 some steps taken in terms of like uh, participation with ICE and illegal immigration. Um, efforts. So, I mean, there are some shining points. Like I said, there's some amazing activists and organizations here, but overall, looking at our political landscape, like it's, it's, it's immediately, it's sad, but that doesn't mean we give up, right? We keep trying, we keep building, you know? Um, and I say that to anyone, if you're in a situation, if you're in a district that you don't feel too optimistic about, I know it's hard not to get down, but start building where you can, how you can. Start, 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 like right now, healthcare for all, Medicare for all, this, that's the issue that people are talking about. People are excited about it. Find ways to connect people to issues that are moving forward that you can build around. So that's just my few thoughts for the night. I appreciate everyone so much for joining me. Um, I am sending you all lots of love and hugs and kisses. I know I can be a scathing bitch sometimes when I'm on my Facebook post. I'm usually 
I'm actually nicer on Twitter, surprisingly, than I am on Facebook, probably because Twitter hasn't given me 280 characters yet. But once I get, y'all can get some of my Facebook style rants too on Twitter. But no, it's all love. I'm a straight shooter. I speak from the heart. I keep it real. As my girl Courtney says, I keep it all the way funky. Um, and, and, and I live and die by my word. And if you're not willing to stand by your word, if you're not willing to, 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 to be who you are, no matter who you're around, what are you really about? So this has been with the way of Anoa. I am looking forward to hearing more from all of you. Send me suggestions for interviews. If I don't get right around to your suggestion, it's not that I'm dissing you. I do this once a week. I work full time. There's a lot going on. If you'd like to volunteer to help with booking, research, any of that great stuff, it's more than appreciated. Shoot me an email, thewayofanoa at gmail.com. If you ever feel inspired, you want to, you know, become a patron of The Way, uh, I do have a Patreon account, patreon.com slash thewayofanoa. Every little bit helps, um, helps, you know, upgrade some of the little bit of, the, you know, my little space here, put something up on the wall. I don't know. But I appreciate being able to have these chats with you once a week. You know, my kids kind of scrunch their face with me if I do any more. But anyway... Actually, one of them is sitting in the background making mean faces at me. You know, that even I, I have teenagers. I have teenagers. But they still want their mama's time. So I'm going to go. I love you all much. Talk to you next week. Peace.